How do you put together a plan for world domination? I mean, if you're someone that doesn't have real coding experience, what does that look like for you in this tech and marketing space? Today's guest is leveraging the power of no-code, low-code tools, and by the way, it's not WordPress, to stake his claim in the new space of productized marketing. Also, pay close attention to how he's leveraging multiple small blocks of income and services to funnel into a foundation for his lifelong business journey. If you've witnessed the absolute explosion of MakerPad, you better rush to get a front row seat to Corey's SwipeFiles.co initiative. This is the Matt Report, home to stories of the resilient blue-collar digital worker building their life-altering business. It's MattReport.com, MattReport.com slash subscribe to join that mailing list. Today's guest, none other than Corey Haynes. We're going to talk to him, learn about this journey that he's putting together, and see if you can do the same. Let's say thanks to our sponsors. Our first sponsor of the day, Bob WP from DoTheWoo.io. Do the Woo, Woo as in WooCommerce, DoTheWoo.io. It's a podcast connecting the WooCommerce builder community with people who are looking to learn more about WooCommerce, get better at WooCommerce, whether you're a developer, a product maker, a marketing person, an agency. Uh, the Do The Woo podcast has everyone covered. Look, WooCommerce is just the elephant in the room for Automatic and WordPress. Bob's at the front line of telling that story and reporting on the WooCommerce news over at Do The Woo. So if you're into WooCommerce as an agency, a freelancer, or a developer, look no further than Do The Woo podcast. He's got a ton of resources up there. Number one, he's got a job board where if you're looking to get a job for WooCommerce, building sites, being a developer... Check it out. Do the woo.io. Do the woo.io. Thanks for supporting the show. Our next sponsor today is Malcare. You can find Malcare at malcare.com. It's the only WordPress security plugin with instant WordPress malware removal. Our auto clean feature cleans your website without waste waiting for hours or days. You can click and scan your site now. You can get emergency hack cleanup at Malcare. Dot com. Listen, as a former agency owner, I don't want to deal with all of the security and malware and virus scanning. And oftentimes, I don't really trust my client's web host that they're coming from to do it for me. So I use places like Malcare to help protect my WordPress sites. You can do one site for 99 bucks a year, 20 sites for $599 a year. It's quite the savings there. And then they also have white label solutions. If you're an agency, check those out on their pricing page. Unlimited cleanups with every plan. Upgrade anytime from one plan to the other. Malcare.com. Protect your WordPress websites from malware, virus, security network things. Check it out. Malcare.com. Thanks for supporting the show. Four years ago, sort of broke up, uh, broke into the startup scene, uh, a startup here in San Diego called Cordial. It was their first marketing hire, then moved on to Bear Metrics and was the head of growth there for almost two years. Um, it, right in, in between and sort of all all around on the side, I was doing some side projects like uh, creating a job board for uh, for marketers called Hey Marketers, uh, also built with all no-code tools, a couple of courses, refactoring growth and mental models for marketing. I had a newsletter at one point, I shut that down because it did not get any traction and sort of burned out on it. But my main focus and what's been 
sort of on my mind now what i'm working on full-time now is swipe files which is a, a membership site for marketers all built on no code and primarily right now sort of the go-to-market offering is a uh like basically like a weekly teardown of a landing page or an email or an ad so it's kind of sick of seeing all these like uh curated sites of like here's just a whole here's thousands of you know landing pages you can search through but i'm like cool like which ones are good which ones are bad like what are what's good and bad about them what can i take away from this so i'm trying to take a much more sort of manual approach and really uh analytical approach and uh now so i is more of a um, membership site and that it has the content and now there's the community aspect as well um but yeah i mean i don't know how to describe myself anymore i'm an I'm a marketer. I'm a maker to a certain degree, very rudimentary, no code maker, um, and an entrepreneur, I guess. I don't know. It's, it's all the things <laughs> doing some consulting, some coaching, just checking all the boxes. Yeah. You'll figure it out as, as you move along. Um, yeah. there's a ton of things that I want to dive into. I want to talk about, I remember, you know, getting introduced to you again through that Twitter thread. And, and I think maybe your first reaction was, well, I'm not really uh, I'm not really into this WordPress space or, or this thing called WordPress. And I was like, hey, fret not. I'm getting out of the WordPress <laughs> game myself. <laughs> Come on to the show and we can talk about mm. it. But um, but you had uh, a one of your uh, teardowns was from a, a company called Groundhog, which is a WordPress product. Uh, and there's mm-hmm. plenty of people listening to this who are helping clients build sites on WordPress that can leverage the product of swipe files. And the way I look at this and, you know, you correct me if, if I'm, if I'm way off base here is it's a, it's a educational tool, right? So it's, you're almost systemizing, productizing marketing to a degree. It's like, Hey, I'll save you the time of reverse engineering that awesome looking marketing site. And I'll give you Absolutely. all the, the deep dive into, into, into how it's all built. Is that safe? Like you're going into that education space too. Is that, is that how you look at it? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, one of my sort of core theses behind it was um, that I wanted to build something like a, a maker pad for marketing. Um, mm-hmm. MakerPad is, uh, I was actually one of the very first customers of MakerPad before it was even MakerPad. Uh, it was mm-hmm. when it was Nuco. Um, but basically, MakerPad is Ben Tossel's uh, venture where it's basically a membership site around no code. And it's where I sort of built some of my early no code shops and learned about the whole space and got plugged into the community. Um, but yeah, I mean, really it's, it's an educational play. It's a content play. It's a, it's a community play. Um, so there, there is no product necessarily. There is no software behind it. It's all about, um, the content learning education and connecting with others. I want to break that apart a little bit because I've seen, and I'm sure you've seen this too, over the last five or so years, the the drive for creating uh, membership sites, somebody teaching somebody how mm. to run a hundred thousand dollar agency, right? That whole info digital product space, right? So keep that on the table for a second. Then there's things like YouTube, where I create a ton of WordPress tutorials visually through video, obviously because it's on YouTube. So it's like that's all free. Where do you find the balance of where do you get the gumption to say, you know what, I'm going to make content and charge for it when there's so much and so much free at the same time? Like, where do you feel like that good balance is for you as as the product maker in this space? I feel like uh, this is something I, I can't remember who it was. And I, I would love to remember because then I could, could sort of attribute them and, um, and give them credit for it. But someone, it might even be. Ben Thompson from Stratechery, who's also one of my inspiration for 
Chris Whitefiles, um, someone like him, I don't know, what was saying basically that uh, the internet is constantly in flux between creation and curation. So when there's an abundance of creation, then sort of the um, the tide shifts and there becomes more demand for curation. We are basically sort of handpicking, distilling, synthesizing, uh, and and curating, you're, you're collecting, right? And then when there's too much of that, then people get back to creating. So um, I think to a large degree, membership sites, courses, paid information, it's always going to be in demand. It's just a matter of sort of when and how. You just mentioned there there was sort of this boom in the, the info product space, you know, about 10, 15 years ago when it was first introduced, you know, with ClickFunnels and with uh, the very first sort of membership sites and courses and paid information. And that's when it was just, you know, there was an abundance of, uh, of new information out there on the internet. You know, it was like, who, who knows what they're talking about? Who can actually go do this, right? Um, and then the tide shifted back for a while and it was just more about creation. You had sort of the rise of YouTube and blogs and all of a sudden information was free for a long time. And now I think we're getting back to that stage where there's too much free information. Uh, mm -hmm. People need something packaged together. They need something where it's just, hey, if I know I can go to this one place and get this one thing, even if there's a sticker price on it, I'm willing to pay that because it's going to save me time. I can trust it. I can be confident in it. And so Swipe Files is really my sort of uh, it's my experiment for Kevin Kelly's thousand true fans with a mix of both free and paid content to really say, yeah, I think that there's a lot of free marketing information out there and most of it is garbage. Let me show you a better way. Let me curate for you. Let me do a lot of the work to show you uh, and help you learn marketing through example, through the teardowns, through articles, through guides and through the community as well. Um, I mean, the community is the, the latest part that I just launched. And that in and of itself is a big part of that whole thesis because there are tons and tons and tons of marketing communities out there. I think most all of them are free, except for a very select few, which are which are good. But most of them are complete trash. Like I have not, I'm sorry, but they're they're mostly marketing ploys as marketers, marketing to other people. They're starting a community just because they think that's an easy way to get leads and get in front of people. Um, and then the community ends up being just a you know chaotic Slack group that ends up dying after a few months. Um, yeah. So now with a, a private paid only membership, again, it's my experiments my thesis saying that i think that there's an opportunity for a marketing community um and the only way it's going to be good is if it's paid if it's private if it's not free if it's not available to everyone if it's, if it's curated to a certain degree i'll put you on the spot here a little bit and uh i trying to find it i'm going through coreyhaines.co it reminds me of i have a website similar to your home homepage called uh, uh crafted by matt and i just list the fifty thousand things that i do and have done <laughs> over time <laughs> but right. i think i recently saw you you have like this productized consulting service right i think it was for i forget the number a few hundred dollars they can engage with you to do this sort of one thing am i am i getting that right yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I started doing it on the side a little bit just because people were like, hey, you know, do you do any consulting or like, can I ask you some questions uh, and have you do this thing? I was like, well, I have a full-time job. I have a whole bunch of side projects. Um, I can't really do like a lot of consulting, but what I can do is we can hop on a call, you know, every other week. I can respond to your emails. I can plug into a shared Slack group and that can kind of be like the marketing brain for you if you want. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's why I started offering, especially in, uh, and then started getting more clients as I went full-time on my own projects. Uh, so I have about 
eight clients now, eight coaching, mentoring clients, however you want to call it. Um, it's 200 bucks a month and it's basically for two monthly calls and then quote unquote unlimited email and Slack access. And I bring it up because you mentioned Kevin Kelly's 1000 true fans earlier this year, um, a16 uh, through Z, po- or not podcast, but A16Z.com, Andrews and Horowitz, put out a, a res- sort of a response with 1,000 true fans, 100 true fans. Yeah, I link it. Yeah, I'll link it up in the show notes. And it's, it's funny that you say that because, you know, their graphic, uh, which I'll sort of paraphrase from here, says uh, 1,000 true fans, revenue per fan, $100 per year, right? And, and that's what your, mm-hmm. your main product is. And then their 100 yeah. true fans is 1,000 per year, uh, you know, per true fan. And the key points that they take away from the 100 true fans is they have this desire for improvement, transformation, and or exclusive access. I see you sort of balancing both of these, right? You have the 1000 true fan model, which is, you know, what swipe files is for you. And then you might have, hey, I've got this higher tier where you get this exclusive access to me. And maybe you, you also get 100 true fans for that product. And I see a lot of people being able to build a business both ways. Am I crazy for thinking you can do one for a thousand, one for a hundred, but fuse the two like you might be doing right now? Yeah, not at all. I mean, that, they're kind of getting into my, my master plan here and uh, revealing <laughs> the, what's behind the, the curtain. But yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, eventually, honestly, I'd like to basically phase out the the coaching and mentoring product that I offer now and essentially loop that into swipe files and have that be more of like a curated sort of mastermind experience. So instead of for a hundred bucks a year, it's a thousand bucks a year, but you're in a private community of people like you where there's, you know, regular meetings or, or, uh, updates or calls, um, resources. And then I would sort of manage that. Um, I haven't exactly figured out. I've had a lot of people ask me for that specifically, actually, I just haven't had the, uh, the time and bandwidth to, to, to do it yet. I'm sort of trying to take one thing at a time, but I think absolutely. I mean, this goes back to, again, the sort of classic info marketing stuff. It's a lot of stuff that, uh, Nathan Barry figured out as well in the early days, um, before ConvertKit was, I mean, you'd be dumb to not have multiple tiers of offerings, ideally something free, uh, ideally something, you know, low cost, and then you sort of have the, the upper threshold, right? If you don't have the upper threshold, you're leaving money on the table. If you don't have the free, you're not going to have enough top of funnel to get through to the main offering, sort of the, the entree. This is true for SaaS too. I mean, we're seeing now with product-led growth and with a lot of the new sort of uh, acquisition models that a lot of SaaS companies are employing, you see that they have a mix of freemium, sort of a SMB, you know, a small business startup offering, and they have an enterprise offering. All three of them are vastly different versions of the product, vastly different versions of service and time, but um, they're serving just varying levels of the value chain. Your experience mm-hmm. at Bear Metrics as head of growth can you just break down the different responsibilities you had for that role? I'm always interested to hear how people approach growth uh, and what they were responsible for at different companies. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, it is good for me to actually talk about sort of the, the actual responsibilities because when people ask me, you know, like, what does a head of growth do? I mean, it's going to be different for every single company. And I think that's yeah. one of the struggles for sort of a growth quote unquote role is that it's, it, just by the nature of the role, it's going to be very different. You know, you see it a lot of, um, 
you know, VC backed startups and uh, especially like marketplace models where there's demand and supply side growth really is about optimization. It's about um, increasing conversion rates down the funnel from either side. And because you're playing with such large numbers, because you're VC backed or your marketplace model, or you're getting a lot of sort of top of funnel, uh, you know, acquisition because you're a social media tool or, you know, et cetera, then a growth world makes a lot of sense because you're, you're playing with the numbers, you know, a 1% improvement, or I should say a 1% lift going from 1% to 2% is doubling the amount of new customers you get per month, for example, right? So that's a huge win. And then the growth role pays for itself. Now for a bootstrap startup like Metrics, the thought was for a growth role to essentially um, not really focus on optimization at all. In fact, the exact opposite, it was to find new channels and to really span across the funnel, uh, instead of just focusing on like one little sliver in particular, like maybe, uh, you know, activation or acquisition or retention that I would go all across the board. So acquisition, activation, retention, referral, and revenue. So, uh, those were, that's the best way I can kind of categorize my responsibilities was sort of taking a full funnel approach and then seeing, Hey, which one do we need to focus on? What are the experiments we can do to improve this? And then trying to take a very holistic approach to really what came down to revenue growth my main kpi was uh was mrr and mrr growth what that looked like day to day and in reality was um we just tried a bunch of different things so we did some content marketing um we did a little bit of uh you know we tried affiliate programs referral programs partnerships uh i was doing a weekly webinar for a while um we were looking at pricing a lot website updates um creating new pages like i created the bear metrics uh, experts network which was basically just a curated list of service providers for SaaS companies to help them grow um and so it varied a lot um a lot of my time was split i, I sort of split it between like 50 50 sales and marketing i was doing demos and i was replying to emails and i was trying to get people to convert from their trial as well as working on new things that were going to get new trials in the door um, as well as upselling customers um, there wasn't a thing that wasn't under my responsibility, sort of, uh, which makes it a little bit hard to sort of pin down. Um, but yeah, the, the thought there with the growth role was to span the whole uh, funnel and to go uh, holistically across the company. Yeah, I, 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 that's a greedy question for me because it's sort of what I do is at my day job at, at Castos for for podcast hosting, and it's it's everything you just said that fifty fifty split. Uh, it, it, arguably that's what I wrestle with, you know, these mm. days, because it's sort of the same thing where we're looking at all top of funnel uh, areas and it's, you know, Hey, the KPI, just like you is, are we increasing revenue? And then the challenge is like, like you, you said, I did the experts corner. Maybe you're doing live streams, you're doing screencasts. You're also, you know, maybe hopping on a call with somebody and, and t telling them about the product and say, Hey, do you want to go to this tier plan or whatever? At what point do we say, okay, which one is actually working? Yes. Yes. Revenue is going up. So do we just keep doing everything <laughs> or do we, did we right. critically think about the YouTube channel is really generating traffic or, you know, the podcast is generating traffic and, and revenue. I would say if I could go back and, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, of course, but looking back on my experience, I think that we would have been much better served 
if instead of trying to do all the things and split my time perfectly and basically just do like one big juggling act, if I had really focused down on a couple things at a time, like really, and this is hard because it's difficult to do this as an employee where, you know, you're trying to be accountable. You're trying to see, you know, short-term results while also thinking long-term. But I think what would have better served us is if we had just focused on one thing for three months and then literally did nothing else. So it was like, okay, I'm going to do all the demos. I'm going to figure out, you know, what is a really great demo to do, where to introduce the demo, how to get more demos, how to increase uh, the conversion rate from demos. And then once we figure like, once we feel like we have that figured out, then I'm going to move on to content marketing and I'm going to look and do a full audit of all of our content. I'm going to look at our SEO strategy. We're going to hire freelancers, but instead it was sort of, you know, over for the first year, especially it was a little bit of just kind of like dipping your feet in the water and then like, Oh, should we go in deeper? Like, no, let's try something else. Or like, let's, yeah. let's keep this one foot in and put another foot in. But like, we never really fully committed. We still got great results, but it, and it but it was these, you know, uh, it was, sort of these, uh, these layers that we were adding very slowly. And I think that we would have gotten better results quicker if we had just had more focus. I call it not giving it the ability to stretch its own legs, right? So for example, you know, recently we launched private podcasting at Castos, right? You can mm. have individual subscribers uh, through email that get a specific link to your podcast and you can turn it on or off whenever you want. And like we, I did a couple of videos and then it's like, now we're moving on to our next integration with uh, Elementor page builder for WordPress and how we can make, you know, building out landing pages for podcasting so much better for WordPress users. And it's like, we didn't even give a chance <laughs> for the right. private podcasting feature to really stretch its legs. It's unfair to the product, I think, in some cases. And we have to constantly go back and say, did we give it, did we give that feature, private podcasting, a chance to not only reach new customers, but reach our existing customers who maybe haven't even mm -hmm. figured it out yet? Right. And there's this yeah. thing that we have to draw back and say, give it enough time to breathe. And 90 days, like I, like you said, is like a perfect way to do that. And, you know, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I struggle with that a lot at Metrics. I even struggle with that at Swipe Files because, again, you just want to get to the next thing, you know, check the box and then feel good about it. But the reality is that there's a lot more to be done. And you really need to see it out to allow it to realize its own potential. Uh, I was just talking about this with Chris, my co-host on my other podcast, Default Alive, because he just released his newest uh, uh, JetBoost product, which is a sort of auto archiving feature for Webflow. And he's like, I launched it. And I was like, awesome. And then later I was like, wait, so like, what did you do? And like, how, how did you launch it? And he's like, well, I haven't like talked about it yet, but like it's there for customers. And I was like, okay, you know, <laughs> wait a second. We need to like <laughs> sit down and figure out yeah. how do we get this into customers' hands? You know, let, have you sent it to the newsletter? Have you talked about it on social media? Like, can you send it out to a few no code influencers or, you know, talk about it in the MakerPad community? Like, you know, we, you could literally spend like a whole month just on launching something. Uh, but most people just want to check the box and say that it's done and, uh, and move on to the next thing because, you know, they feel guilty about, uh, not getting to it sooner. Right. Or you're, it's, it's the feeling of always feeling behind. Right. And so you end yeah. up neglecting things instead of really giving them the time that they need. You mentioned that you, you launched a community recently on, uh, another no code app circle. And, um, you can find it at circle.so. Uh, I used it actually the other day because I was demoing how we can do private podcasts with Circle. You sign up as a Circle member, you get a private podcast, et cetera. And I'm looking at the footer of Swipe Files, your website, and it says powered by. 
uh, and this is me putting you on the spot again <laughs> yeah. as a WordPress guy, powered by Webflow, MemberStack, JetBoost, ConvertKit, SparkLoop, WriteMessage, Fathom, Beamer, Rewardful. And I think that a lot of people in the WordPress space, like a lot of people who are consultants, developers, designers, agencies, builders, they love WordPress because they can say, you know what, you know, Corey's got whatever, 10 of these services here. I can do with WordPress and its plugins in staying within WordPress, eight of those 10 services all within WordPress, and I own the platform aside from the hosting. But that's the beauty of it is you own the platform. I'm curious as a no coder, <laughs> if I can even say <laughs> that, uh, how do you think of it? Because I know a lot of WordPress think people think of it as I own the platform. It's mine. It's my data. I can pick it up. I can move it somewhere else. My thought is no coders say, I don't care about that. I just want it easy. Is that fair? Or, or how do you approach that balance? Yeah, I mean, there, there's trade-offs with everything. You know, I think there absolutely are advantages. And I would even go as far to say that WordPress was probably the first, quote-unquote, no-code tool out there. Sure. And especially the first no-code platform where you have plugins and ecosystem and, and everything uh, to that degree. But um, there, there's always trade-offs. There's absolutely an argument to be made that uh, I don't own anything and that most of my uh, most of the tools that I'm built off of and the, and the platforms that I use um, they could just, you know, change things or, you know, I, I really can't transfer them off. So, but for me, the trade-off is, I think that, um, the advantage of having speed and flexibility and just with the advantages of the features on each one of those platforms themselves outweighs the cost of, uh, essentially owning the data and owning the platform and doing everything on my own. Um, I'm really thoughtful about, the tools that I choose to work with. I mean, the, the list that you just mentioned, I know the founders of every single one of them and I've, you know, heard about them for years. I've tested all of them out beforehand. Um, I, especially for the community. So I need to add circle to the list down there. I haven't yet. Cause the community is still very new and I'm actually trying to sort of be a little bit quiet about it for a while because I don't want, um, the community to be overrun too quickly and sort of mm. for it to lose its uh, momentum and, and burn out a little bit. But, Circle, for example, I mean, I, I really despise Facebook groups. I really despise <laughs> communities and Slack. Um, yeah. In either of those cases, you don't own those, right? If there's platforms like Discord and uh, Discourse and uh, a few others, I'm sure, that are out there that I could own, right? But also, I wasn't really sure about them. I didn't know the people behind them. I know the guys behind Circle. Um, I know that they wouldn't rip me off and I, I have to trust them in that way, right? But I'm also, I'm thinking long-term and I think Circle is a fantastic community to be built off of long-term. Same goes for all of them. Uh, I believe in Webflow. I believe in ConvertKit. I believe in Beamer. I believe in Rewardful. So when I choose a tool, I'm thinking, well, I don't really, I don't, I don't really care about the cost of not owning it because I'm going to plan on being on this platform for five, 10, 20 years. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it, there's like this missing layer and and, and I kind of know why as a product person uh, and somebody who's been in WordPress for like 15 years, there's a certain layer missing that when you have individual products, they can be hyper-focused and very uh, direct in what they want, very opinionated in how they want their software to work. Yeah. And like you said, WordPress was probably one of the first no-code, quote-unquote, movements that there was, though Matt Mullenweg, the founder, would probably 
you know, be very angry <laughs> having WordPress categorized <laughs> yeah, as a no code. But here's the thing. It's like, yeah, you could all these crazy things you can do with WordPress plugins and themes, but because they were all trying to work in WordPress, that could work anywhere. That was the challenge. There, it, everything was everything was fragmented, still is. It's getting a little yeah. bit better, but the experience was so fragmented, whereas you can turn to Circle and say, this is a beautiful interface. It's easy to set up a community. You know, versus the alternative in WordPress world is maybe BB Press, which is, you know, I know the, the creator of it or one of the co-creators of it. It's just 15 years old and it's, it's had to be, you know, backwards compatibility with WordPress forever. So it's, it's just not a beautiful experience as a circle, mm. you know. But again, you say the trade off, which I totally agree is like, how long do you want to code something together <laughs> uh, and make it look good versus just spending 40 bucks a month and going to circle? Right. Yeah. Uh, so definitely that that trade off. Um, one, you know, another thing that I love about WordPress is and and the ability to let's say use something like an Elementor, which is their page builder, and advanced custom fields, which is you start getting into that Airtable esque kind of you know build out. Is it can empower people and create opportunity for for jobs for careers to boost economies, to boost local economies, to educate, to train people. Um, you know, I think of, you know, uh, veterans and, and people who are looking for further education. Like I think WordPress has a great core in educating and empowering people to do things. Do you feel that same way with no code? Like people can get a, a certain skill set, a collection of no code tools and make a living with it, change their lives, get out of a dead end job. I sure hope so, because that's my case. Yeah, <laughs> I, would, I would really love um, to be able to make a living off of swipe files and for it to be my my full time source of income. No, but I think seriously, uh, that's the reason why I got excited about it in the first place is because um, as a marketer who is very entrepreneurial and who likes building things and creating things and being in the world of software, uh, it was really frustrating for a long time um, to feel like I, I was just kind of like caged up. Like I was working in a straight jacket, you know, of like, mm -hmm. oh, I, I wish I could code or I wish I could create something like that. Or I wish I could put something together like this um, for what I want to build, just not being able to, right. I would either need to learn how to code, uh, which eventually I would still like to do, or I need to get some sort of technical co-founder or I need to, you know, hawk up a bunch of money over to a freelancer or an agency to build me something custom. And what no code is really all about it is about democratizing access to making software products. We're making products with software. It's, you know, it goes either way, right? So there's a lot of tools like um, Webflow and Adalo and, uh, you know, a bunch of them out there now that are basically, hey, you can build like or Bubble is another big one. You can make a software product without touching code. And I think that's fantastic. On the flip side as well, it's, hey, you can do anything you want to without having to touch code. And that's also awesome because, again, that democratizes access. Learning to code and programming is a very exclusive skill. And that's why people are paid so much because it's really hard. And not very many people are, are really great at it, right? But no code allows normal everyday people like me to make a job board for marketers yeah. and be like, whoa, this is great. This is fun. Now I'm making money off of this. But also, like you said, it's helping people find jobs. It's providing me with some side income. 
it's connecting people together. Same thing with swipe files now um, in, in the way that I can connect together uh, sort of a blog, a newsletter, a community, a library of content. Um, I can filter, search for things, all without having to touch any code. And now I'm quicker to market uh, with something that's going to help people and not have to worry about, you know, learning how to, you know, spending six months designing it, right? I designed or I spent about two months working with a guy, a really generous guy named Sako, building swipe files in Webflow through what he kind of built as the the no-code rumble, which is kind of a, an accelerator or um, basically like a, a three-month challenge to build a no-code product. Um, I could have built it myself. We actually used a template right off the bat and we just worked together on sort of how to customize that for swipe files. But if I had tried to code out swipe files myself, I would still be doing it today, nine months <laughs> later. Yeah. Um, and still yeah. have nothing to show for it. But I started making money. I had my first dollar the day that I launched, which was two months after starting to work on it from just having an idea in my in my Notion doc. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I believe it's all about just democratizing access, and that's always going to be uh, a net positive for, for everyone. And it's still, you know, giving yourself some credit here because, uh, and I, I also don't want to feel like the the dumbest guy in the room because I, I have found my challenges <laughs> testing out like Webflow and other things and even Airtable. There's still a learning curve. Oh, yeah. Just- yeah. And, and to be fair, I think that there should always be a learning curve. Um, I think the problem is when the learning curve is too steep early on. For me, that's what my experience was like with Bubble. For Webflow, though, it was just sort of steep enough to uh, keep me going and for me to see the light at the end of the tunnel to keep learning and go up that learning curve. And then eventually sort of got over it. And now it's more like an S curve. And now I'm trying to go over, you know, go up the next curve now uh, to get a little bit more advanced. But learning curve is good because it means that there is something promising there. I mean, if, if it was easy everyone would do it. I'm excited about there being a learning curve because it means that there will hopefully always be an advantage for me or there'll always be something challenging and rewarding to do. Because if it was, like you said, I just build a web app in an afternoon, then we would just see bazillions of web apps and nothing would be defensible uh, and everything would be you know, too easy to even feel rewarding or like we should keep doing it. Tell me about your, your podcasting efforts, your journey through podcasting. Um, how is it helping the business? How do you plan on helping the business? Are you going to launch a podcast proper for swipe files? Let, let me know what, uh, what you're doing with podcasting. Yep. Again, you're, you're revealing the, what's behind the curtain here in my master plan. But uh, <laughs> So Default Alive is a little bit more of just like a accountability, accountability tool. Um, I run it with my co-host, Chris, who runs JetBoost, who builds uh, no-code plugins for Webflow, essentially. They're just little add-ons to help you search, filter, auto-archive. You can favorite things. He's got a few other sort of products in the works. Um, and that's us just catching up on our journeys. We're good friends. We used to, we just had a uh, a weekly catch-up call just talking about what we're working on. Anyways, like, why don't we just turn this into a podcast? Uh, that way we can share, you know, more broadly and also help that be, have that be an accountability function for us, for what we commit to and, you know, keeping people in the loop. Um, but I, I do have plans um, launching a podcast under the Swifels brand. It'll be called Everything is Marketing, coming soon, recording some of the first episodes uh, with some guests. And the idea being there that uh, it's sort of a, Tim Ferriss style podcasts, but for marketers. So a lot of marketing podcasts are about, uh, hey, learn how you know this person at this company did this thing. 
And that's cool. And that's great, you know, but they're usually about 20 to 30 minute episodes. But I really want to know more about the marketer themselves and how they think and what is the culmination of all their experiences and learnings you know, take about 45 to 90 minutes and really dig in deep on everything about that person. Uh, to, so really focus more on the marketer and how they think. Um, and so, yeah, coming soon, but that will, will be hopefully sort of the, the top of funnel thing that I need to draw more attention to Swifel since it, it everything is very gated, you know, the community, the content, um, really all the benefits of the membership itself. I have a free newsletter, but it's still not very much besides maybe my own Twitter account to get people uh, introduced into Swipe Files. So I'm hoping that the podcast would be a great way to um, draw attention and for that to be the thing that I, I can use to uh, you know, get more people into the community, get more uh, eyeballs in front of the content. His name is Corey. You can find Swipe Files at swipefiles.co and you can see more about the 3 million other projects Corey, <laughs> Corey is running over <laughs> at CoreyHaines.co. That's here. You can join those email lists. You can find them on Twitter. Anything else, anywhere else people can say thanks for doing the show? Yeah, find me on Twitter. Let me know what you thought. Um, I'm going to give it a retweet when it's out. So feel free to ask, ask me any questions. You can drop in my DMs. I respond to everyone um, and look forward to hearing from some people. All right, Corey. Thanks a lot. Everyone else, MattReport.com, MattReport.com slash subscribe. Join the mailing list. Don't forget... Leave us a five-star on iTunes because, you know, we want to beat out Corey on those iTunes rankings. <laughs> We're almost at 150 five-star reviews. Let's make it Let's make it 200 by the end of the year, right? We'll try that as a, as a stretch goal. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode.